0: This is episode number 15 with Ian Imhoff. Welcome to the I Love Music podcast. My name is Jen Fedor. I started the I Love Music podcast to inspire people who love music, encourage people who work within the industry, and to hear each person's unique story. For this episode, I got to talk with Ian Imhoff, Ian is a jack of all trades when it comes to the music industry. He has worked in marketing, tour and artist management, to now being a senior publicist. It was great getting to hear his stories from visiting Abbey Road to hearing how he got to work day to day with the Luminaires. Here is my interview with Ian. Ian, thank you for being here today and being on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, What's one of your very first childhood memories or teenage memories of music?
1: Um, and it's a good question. Uh, probably, I mean, I, I remember just listening to music with my parents driving around. They liked a lot of music. Um, not, it wasn't, you know, not a ton of different types of music, but but yeah. they listened to a lot of music. You know, I remember I remember there being a lot of music in the house when I was a kid, and especially when we would drive around. So, probably that kind of stuff, listening to like classic rock and, cool. and stuff with my dad. And where did and you grow up? I grew up in a little town called Ferndale, Washington. Okay, uh, out in the middle of nowhere.
0: How did you decide to work in the music industry? What was kind of your journey and path?
1: Um. I mean, it started, I think, when I was probably in uh, probably 7th, 8th grade, I was, uh, a lot of my friends were in bands and I was not a musical person. Uh, I am more musical now than I, I had expected myself to be when I was a kid. But um, a lot of my friends were in bands and I couldn't figure out how to be in a band. I couldn't, you know, I wasn't good at playing anything or, or singing, so I kind of, uh, um just started to do the business side of stuff, so I told my friends, I, you know, I'd manage your band, you know, whatever that meant, and uh, kind of went from there and just, uh, you know, started working with my friends' bands who were local and then booking shows and started my own little record label when I was 16 and released local stuff and then, you know, just kind of, Built up through the Ferndale music scene, which there was that was me. That's all it was (laughs) It was me and me me and my friends and then Bellingham is where um, I put in a lot of work uh, doing promotions and label stuff and uh, Touring and managing bands and stuff like that and then I moved to Seattle and kind of built from there
0: Uh, What were some of the first bands you managed?
1: Uh, The first band I ever managed was a band called the Cellovex. Okay. They were a horror punk band in the thread of uh, um, the Misfits or the Vandals or Murder City Devils from Seattle, which was kind of like our, you know, our hometown uh, or our close by guys. And then uh, there was another band, Black Eyes and Neckties, that was kind of like in that horror rock genre. So we kind of modeled ourselves after those guys. And then uh, I worked with a jam band called Savage Henry, okay. so rever- reference to the... Um, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Uh, they were a very like fish type jam band, but they were the big band mm-hmm. in town, and so I kind of worked with those guys, um, and then just variants on all those guys, different other little bands and stuff. So
0: that's cool. Um, what was what was like the music scene back? What was happening cause since you lived in such like a small small town? Yeah, not. I mean,
1: not. There was much. You yeah. know, it was mostly. Um, it was mostly punk bands. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Savage Henry was this jam band. We would do. We'd throw shows in barns, and we'd throw cool. shows at uh, you know parks and stuff like that. And then um, you know that we we would invade Bellingham every once in a while and go do. Uh, Stewart's was this re, uh, this uh, coffee shop that okay. did open mics and they booked show, all ages shows. And then we started working with uh, uh, places like Wham, which was. Welcome All Ages Arts and Music. They were an organization that put on all ages shows in town and uh, you know, kind of built into that. And then there was a lot of like, there was like a church scene too, that mm-hmm. like the, you know, churches would do battles of the bands kind of things <laughs> yeah, and stuff. Yeah. You know, us all being very non-religious people, which was really funny and going and do those kind of things. Yeah. But you know, you did it for the exposure because it was guaranteed 200 kids come out every night. And and you kind of do that, so, um, you know, there was a lot of that, but yeah, I mean, it was very slim pickings, there was probably only about six actual bands in that town that mm-hmm. would play that, you know, and everybody was in high school, because once you graduated high school, you stopped being in bands, or you yeah. moved, or whatever, because right. it was, you know, one of, those, one of those little towns that nobody stuck around in, so.
0: So from doing all, like, the de- uh, you know, do-it-yourself, like, shows, how did you make your way over to Seattle?
1: Um, Seattle's a funny story because it was, uh, you know, we tried to, I tried to figure out how to do it as a living in Bellingham and it wasn't working out. It worked for a while and then it yeah. just, you know, couldn't, uh, couldn't sustain it. So, um, I kind of made, hastily made the idea, the, 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 uh, choice to, to move to Seattle. So I just kind of hit up everybody I knew in Seattle, uh, asking if anybody had any jobs or anything and, and, uh, randomly. Uh, this venue that I had done a few shows at in the past uh, was looking for somebody to do marketing in a junior position and uh, they kinda just gave me a chance and then I accepted that position and ended up moving to Seattle about a week later Um, but within that week another venue hit me up and was like oh hey you wanna do marketing for us too and luckily for me both venues were very different uh, didn't didn't have a lot of crossover, so I was able to con them into letting me work at both places because it was you know it was very like yeah. they're paying me in cash under the table right. for whatever yeah. yeah and so I was like you know I can't sustain living in Seattle on x amount of dollars a week like I need some real you know I need I need at least both of them to help me out right. so I moved <clears throat> did that for a little bit and just kind of you know took to the scene and. I was lucky enough to work with some really cool people at those both of those venues who'd been in, in the music industry down there for a long time and just kind of grew my connections from there. So um, yeah, that's kind of how it, it worked. And then, you know, people started moving around and I started moving around and, and got to- Just
0: kept making more connections.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: How did you get into tour managing and how, how did that all come about?
1: I mean, tour managing for me went back to like Uh, I mean the early Bellingham days when I would just be managing and slash doing everything for all the bands I I tour managed this band mission orange for a while. Um, I managed uh, tour managed a band Uh called black eyes and neckties who I had talked about earlier who Mm -hmm. eventually I was the project manager at their label click pop um and I didn't do a lot of tour managing with those guys because they had a guy, Rich, who uh, was the bass player but also was a big, you know, a pretty big tour manager at the time. Yeah. So we went, I went and did, um, I went and did a run with them in the UK, which was probably my biggest tour, not biggest tour that I've managed, but longest tour maybe of, that I've managed. Um, and uh, yeah, that was fun. We did, uh, they were, doing a few shows over there um, they just got signed to William Morris and okay. so I kind of went over to work both with the band but also I stayed in London for a week and just you know took meetings with labels and tried to get them some deals over there and, cool. and stuff so
0: what out of tour managing um, I mean because you're always trying to solve problems trying to do you have any do you have any stories where like in the nick of time, like, yeah, I mean, I feel like <laughs> yeah.
1: I feel like every every show is kind of like that, you know. Yeah. It's nothing ever goes hundred percent smooth, so there's always something. Um, I mean, you know, I've shown up to venues that didn't have a sound system, <laughs> you know, yeah. that we had to figure that stuff out of. I've shown up to venues that, you know, we were promised X amount of things on our rider and we didn't have, and then you know, you have to. You have to you know, make make the, the band happy and stuff like that. Um, I haven't ever I've never had one of the big horror stories. I got a lot of friends who, you know but again, I haven't tour managed a ton.
0: Right. It's right. kind of one
1: of the it's kind of one of the side jobs that I'm available to do if <laughs> needed. Yeah. But not something that I've yeah. like ever done uh on a regular basis. So I don't I don't have any really good Stories yeah. as far as that's concerned, but uh, you've yeah,
0: don't you you've like done a little bit of everything from the marketing to PR To management to tour management.
1: I like to think of myself as a utility player You know, I like to be able to walk into any situation regardless of what it is uh, uh, Whether it's management or you know project managing for a label Which I've done in the past or tour management or being a promoter of a show mm-hmm. Um you know, PR is what I'm doing right now. So any of those things, I like to be able to walk into a room and be able to do something um, and and not, you know, which, which is a blessing and curse because it's one of those things where I will be at a show uh, that is not one of mine, that I have no, I don't know any of the bands, I don't know any of the venue, like, and I just walk in if something goes wrong, freaks me out and i ha- i feel like i have to do something about it yeah. which and then yeah. i just have a bad time because i'm like it's not working this isn't the thing that's right. happening and and yeah. and so it's it's a blessing and curse but i mean I, it's it's always come in, in handy i like to know i'd rather know a good amount about everything than too much about one thing cuz i feel like you don't right. you don't really get a good grasp of everything if that's the way you 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 know are thinking about the world or seeing the world so um I think just in general I really enjoy the fact that I can kind of walk in and do whatever needs to be done if if necessary. So Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I know for me sometimes when I go to shows and I it's like one of my friends bands or something like that and then like the mic isn't on during like the one like part of the song and I'm like I'm looking back at the sound guy. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, Oh my gosh.
1: <laughs> I, I have been that asshole who's jumped on a, behind a board before and been like, you need to fix this. And they're like, who are you? And it's like, it doesn't matter who I am. Just fix the damn sound. because. <laughs> yeah. It's bad. Yeah.
0: yeah. I I've it's, done that a couple times I I shouldn't
1: to... do it, but I do it I do, anyways. Cuz yeah. I mean, you know, people yeah. pay money to go see something good and I don't want to Yeah. Like, if I have the ability to help something, I am going to try and try and figure it out. But uh, Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, so that's kind of a thing. But I mean, like as far as everything that I've ever done, like I management is what I always come back to um, yeah. in the end, you know, I'm um, I'm having fun doing this this PR thing right now, which is you know a different, totally different thing for me um, mm-hmm. historically, but uh, and it's fun. But uh, yeah, I mean, management's the thing that I always like because I I feel like it gives me the most amount of artistic control uh, as someone who's not an artist. Right. Um, what. Well, not a musician or you know a visual yeah. artist or whatever I feel like it's kind of it allows me to put my own spin on art and give give you know give me a a, a palette or you know a, a, some type of thing to to play with and cuz it's it's really fun to figure out different ways and different approaches and you know I think too many people are too cookie cutter about what they think like oh you need to do this this and this in this order and it's like no it's not like that everybody's different every band's different you have to read it you have to it's very I, I've been told is very difficult uh, by a lot of people and it's it is hard at times But I I get the most enjoyment out of it. I think so
0: So there is no like one way to you know to break in to the industry Do you have any you know suggestions or encouragement or words of advice?
1: Don't for? suck. I mean that's really that's really at the end yeah. of the day what it is. I mean Yeah. Um, you know there's uh i was actually talking to a friend today uh over coffee about you know they their recent transplant to la and they're you know he's like wow we've we've just gotten all these show offers and the echo like the, the people at the echo have really taken a shine to us and and everything's cool and he's like i, I don't know why and i was like because timing you know it's timing it's you don't suck you know you're a good band you, yeah. you do cool stuff like just just do that. I think, you know, I think one of the biggest problems that a lot of bands fall into, and I, I see this in, you know, I've seen this in other cities that I've lived in, I see it here sometimes, depending on where it is, but you don't don't become famous in your own city. I think that's like a big, a big issue that a lot of bands have that have the potential of breaking out into a national audience. Um, they become city famous, yeah. as we like to call it. Uh, and you know, like great, you're on the cover of the weekly and you're on, the, you're on, you're getting played on locals only and you're getting played on all these things and you know, whoever. But what is that doing? Is that translating into sales other places? Is that getting people attracted to you? Are you, are, or are you even good live? Like are, you know, I think so many people get caught up in making something in the studio that sounds great and then when they go out and do it live it's not a it, it not even if it's not great but the show's not there yeah. you know I've seen so many people where it's like here's this great song that's on Slamcloud and it's got 200,000 plays and then I'm like cool and I go see it live and I'm like what the fuck have you been doing like you your show isn't good you yeah. you're not you're you're not practiced you look scared on stage like what are you doing so it's just it's really,
0: you have to work on the whole package. Yes,
1: you just continuously working on the entire package. Your visuals, your sound, your ability, your quality, your live show, um, you know, making sure that you know what your identity is and you brand it correctly and, and you're not, you know, and spend a little money, don't, don't, if you wanna really do it, you're gonna to have to spend the money, the upfront, like to do it, you know, people aren't gonna do you favors forever. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, just be good. First of all, like, yeah, I think, yeah. you know, I say I say to a lot of people and um, an artists, you know, we're in the music business. And yeah, it's business, but you've got to remember the first word in the music business is music. And if you, the music's not good, if the quality of the art isn't good, then, you know, you're not gonna do well, even the worst big bands, even bands that have like, you know, that, that tour and are big and are, you know, selling tickets and, you know, even if you think they're bad, well, there's mm-hmm. something about them that isn't and it might not be for you and I think a lot of people get in their heads about what their personal tastes are and get too hung up on that because, you know, and you don't look around, you don't go go to shows, go support the scene, go see people, even if it's just to learn what not to do on stage. Yeah,
0: You yeah. know,
1: like, I think, I think there's a whole lot of, uh, you know, good, goodness in that. Going and seeing shows and supporting, even if it's a bad show, going, right. okay, why is this a bad show? Why, why do I not like this? Why do people not like this? I shouldn't do that. So, yeah, um, you know, it's just hustling. It's just getting out there and doing the damn thing. And, and if you don't, then you're not going to go anywhere. And, and get out, of, get outside of your city. Go. Don't be, don't be scared to to go and play in front of 25 people in Arcata and yeah. Boise, Idaho. You know, like you, yeah. you got to do it. Yeah. Or you know, even if you're selling, even if you're selling 500 tickets in, in LA or Seattle or Portland or wherever. You might not be worth a damn outside of it, but you got to go do it, right? Because nobody cares if you're worth 500 tickets only in Portland. <laughs> you yeah. know, like no one's gonna care. You can't. Yeah. It doesn't tra- translate. So, you know, just it's it's a hustle and treat it as such and and keep keep working on it. So yeah. that's my big that's my big spiel on it. And you're so.
0: you're gonna have good shows. You're gonna have bad shows. That's just like how it is going out on the road. Yeah, like-
1: my friends who play arenas and stadiums have bad shows. Yeah, They have good shows and you're gonna feel great after a good show and you're gonna feel like shit after a bad show and it doesn't matter if it's in front of five people or 50,000 people, you know, it happens. So don't get scared and caught up on that stuff. Like people, you know, I feel like that's a lot of it too. Like people get ca- so caught up on like, oh, I don't wanna, I don't wanna do that, I wanna have a bad show or this is this is a weird, and go into, if it's a bad show, go into it with as much gusto as you're gonna go into it with a good show. Don't go, don't go and play in front of 20 people and be mad that you're playing in front of 20 people. Like play like you're in 20 in front of 20,000 yeah. cuz I've seen bands who do that and those are the bands that you know do the thing. They they break through and they they mm-hmm. go and do their next thing. So yeah.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. Uh do you have any fun stories from your travels and just working in the business um <laughs>
1: I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I got a lot. Uh depends on <laughs> depends on what you want. I mean, there's um, you know, I yeah, I got all kinds of stories. I don't know where where do you want to start? What kind of give me a give me a give me a starting point cause, Uh
0: let, uh how about um any of your international
1: travels? Um international. Yeah, I mean, I uh like I was saying about earlier with that uh, that band that I tour managed in in the UK. Um, I stuck around in London for uh, a week or so afterwards to do some meetings. Uh, they had just gotten signed to William Morris and we were trying to sign to a couple of cool indie labels over there and, and so I took some meetings. And uh, while I was there, I had an off day. And so um, I was probably 21 at the time, I think, okay. when this happened, 20 or 21. Um, and so I used my company email that I would had through the record label and I emailed uh, Abbey Road one morning. and I said, hey, I'm uh, this project manager for this record label where we've got a band over here touring. They're with William Morris, blah, blah, blah. Uh, would love to come and check out the studio for future projects. Just blowing smoke, this, right? like <laughs> yes. just, yeah, just yeah, like yeah. yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah whatever, yeah. dude. <laughs> and so I send it, and I send it to like some info at probably like you know expecting nothing, and yeah. just you know I had a free day, so and uh, uh, I get an email back later that afternoon from Fiona, who is the, I believe she's still the the GM over there, and uh, she said, hey Ian, thanks for reaching out, you know gave me the whole spiel about. Now, we don't do tours. It's a working studio, blah blah blah. But if you're able to come by, by before nine a.m. tomorrow, uh, I'd be more than happy to give you a tour of the studio. Um, they'd had some projects in there, but nobody was coming in yeah. scheduled. to Come in until like eleven or twelve. So uh, yeah. So I wake up early. I jump on the tube and and zip up to uh, to Abbey Road. And you know I'm a big I'm a big Beatles fan. Uh, today actually, I just went and saw. Uh, George Harrison exhibit at uh, Shepherd Fairey's. Uh, what's that place? Subliminal Studios or Subliminal Projects? I think is okay. the name of it uh, here in L.A. And so, you know, I'm a, I'm a big Beatles fan. I've got you know all the vinyl on first pressing from every mm-hmm. record. Like I'm, I'm ridiculous. Uh, so it's kind of the mecca for me. It's kind of the spot. And so I roll up about 8:30 in the morning. Uh, I meet Fiona. Uh, and she takes me on a tour of the studio, and I got to sit in uh, B, where they recorded, you know, a lot of the Beatles stuff. Uh, any of the photos that you see of them yeah. in the big white room—that's B uh, yeah. at Abbey Road, and they had the uh, they had the Steinway uh, upright that. They recorded "Let It Be" on, and I kind of got to tickle the ivories a little bit. Played a little bit of little little "Let It Be" on there, and so that was pretty cool. And yeah, she took me around and got to see all the cool stuff. Uh, They they didn't let me in the mic closet. It's, it's. I mean, I didn't expect that because it's you know millions and millions of dollars worth of crazy ass old microphones. (laughs)
0: Yeah, Um, yeah.
1: But yeah, that was really fun. And so. Uh, we do the tour I, I was in there for about maybe an hour and a half uh, and then as I was walking out there's a front door and a back door and the back doors where like you know most of the, the celebrities and, and yeah. you know like yeah. big big time musicians come through uh, and I went out the front door where kind of the normal there's a little parking lot in front of it where mm-hmm. uh, the engineers and everybody park and I hadn't really thought about the fact that there was nobody there when I walked in because mm-hmm. it was so early. So when I walked out, uh, there were about 250 tourists just hanging out out front. I had, you know, I, I wear an industry standard uh, outfit, uh, black v-neck boots, yeah, blue jeans, a leather jacket, and sunglasses. <laughs> yes. And so I walk out of this place, and I, it was just like paparazzi, it was ridiculous. And <laughs> I, I it was the weirdest thing because I was just like, Oh, they think like, I, that I'm somebody, and I'm definitely not. So, uh, so that was pretty fun. But that, yeah, and they're they taking photos, was like, Oh, who is that? Right. And then, like, I just walk out the gate past them, and they're like, yeah. oh, we don't know who that is. And I was like, Yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm, I'm nobody, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just here hanging out. So,
0: um,
1: that was a fun one. That's probably my that's like a funny. Weird story yeah. from my international touring, but other than that, nothing, nothing crazy. Yeah, nothing crazy.
0: So you got to work with the Lumineers for a little bit. Uh, how was? How did that come about?
1: Um, uh, random series of events kind of uh, fed into that. Um, the very first South by Southwest I went to, I was in a manager's panel with uh i don't remember it was it seemed like a kind of a uh, pyramid scheme they were trying to make a, a manager union or something it was very strange and so interesting. i was sitting in there and there was a person sitting in front of me and and uh her uh her badge was kind of hanging off to the side and I it flipped around and I noticed that it said Seattle on it. So I was like, oh, I should say hi. Yeah. And so uh, after the panel, she gets up and I run over to her. I'm like, hey, I saw that you're from Seattle. I wanted to say hi. And uh, her name's Kristen Green, um, who is uh, the manager of the Lumineers, but at the time was uh, she had just moved to Seattle and was working uh, with some bands that I was aware of at the time, and uh, so we just kinda kept in contact. We exchanged cards and and kinda kept in contact for a while uh, before, until I moved to uh, Seattle, and she was one of those people that I hit up. (laughs) Hey, do you have anything for me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she didn't at the time, so it was fine. And then, after a while, I was at uh, I was at the venues doing th- doing marketing, and then I got picked up to go over to the Crocodile to do marketing at the Crocodile, okay. which is a, you know the the cradle of grunge, the the yes. the, 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 yes. the world the world famous. <laughs> so I was doing marketing for them for a little while, and then um, sometime sometime in late God, let's see what was that? Late two thousand and eleven, I guess it was. Chris um, and I had been, you know, becoming pretty good friends. Yeah. And we our offices were close by, so we'd go, you know, drinking and hanging out. And so um, she hit me up out of the blue one day and was like, "Hey, I, I just signed this baby band from from uh, Denver. They're called the Lumineers." And um, I was like, "Oh yeah, I've seen we. She'd had them up for for something, and I'd seen them already. And I was like, "Yeah, they're great. I like those kids." And uh, she said, they're, they're out here recording uh, in August and they're in the studio Mondays through Friday and we're looking to do Friday, Saturday residencies, one in Bellingham and one in Portland uh, for the month. Could you book them the, the you know. They didn't have yeah. any, they had nobody. They had nothing yeah, going on. Yeah. They just signed, it was yeah. this whole thing. So yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. So I called my friend, Sarah Jerns, who I had managed her band in the past and one of my best friends. and. She was booking a, a little wine bar up there, 50 cap
0: which yeah. tops. Yeah.
1: And I was like, hey, you know, I got this band. Uh, it's for Kristen. She'd met Kristen. She was like, yeah, anything for her. We'll figure it out. So we, we ended up getting all the, the weeks there. I ended up going up uh, with her to that first show, and I think 14 people came out okay. to it. Um, but they were one of those bands that in front of fourteen people felt like they were playing in front of fourteen thousand people, you know. Right. And it was just the three piece at the time, and and uh, we ended up hanging out and drinking and, and playing frisbee in the street until all hours of the night, and uh, and they were great. So uh, a couple months later, there was some stuff changing around at the company, and they gave me a call and said, Hey, do you want to come and and. Uh, Do day to day for them and so I ended up going over and working with them and Hey Marseille and Fox and Andrew Gibson and a few other bands that they had worked with and uh, Yeah, so that's kind of how that started just started hanging out.
0: Yeah, any any uh, any good memories Fun memories from working with them. I I, I, I remember there was uh, I remember uh, one story you told me uh, about the was it the the drummer and like how he broke his
1: oh how he he busted his foot
0: <laughs> yeah yeah
1: jer um jer busted his foot up one time because uh you know they do the they have the 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 kick drum at the front of the the, the front of the stage we were actually here in LA doing i can't remember what we were doing late night i yeah. I, I, I get my my timelines freaked out sometimes it's okay. i think it happens I, to me too. yeah right and so i think it was i think we were doing late night or something and I just remember him saying to me like, "Oh man, my, my foot, my foot's busted up." Like, I don't I don't know, it feels bad. And I was like, "All right." So we like we end up taking him to like an urgent care cuz you know, shit, nobody knew we were still, you know, it's very right. it was still very yeah. early on and Yeah. and you know, he wore these work boots, these, you know, I think they were like Timberlands or something. And he just wore these work boots on stage and so, you know, he's he's up there and they they play with a lot of a lot of, you know, liveliness and, you know, mm-hmm. he's up there kicking around and stomping and and yeah, they, we take him to the urgent care and they ended up doing an x-ray or something on him. And uh, yeah, he just like severely bruised the heel of his, I believe it was his right foot. And yeah. so they were like, you know, you gotta stay off it for a while and this whole thing. So that was pretty funny. But um, you know, that band was really cool because it was, it was the first time I'd worked with a band that I saw it from the ground up, like from really, like they had been hustling for a long time. Don't yeah. get me wrong. It's, yeah. you know, but like to see it from the, like, the breakout moment um you know, whether it was that first South by Southwest where I, I turned I remember returning to a friend being like, I don't we didn't there was no really big bust out band of this year and they looked at me and said, It was you guys, like you were the bust out band.
0: Oh. <laughs> oh, oh. I guess oh. I didn't really I didn't have time to
1: think about it in that <laughs> yeah, way. You know, yeah. or you know, it was just a lot of cool stuff. Like we, you know, doing all the late night stuff, doing SNL, which was really incredible. Um, the Grammys, you know, yeah. first time I'd gone to the Grammys was with them and and, uh, but also just like the fact that they were really good people was really cool. Mm-hmm. You know, was, the team was great. The team is great around them. The management, agent, label, you know, their radio team, everybody's great. So, uh, and they're good people. So it's it's yeah. really nice to see good people who deserve good things happen to them, happen to them. So that's that's what I always, I, you know, I still stay in touch with them and yeah. still go out and check them out whenever they're around. And you know, it's, they're good people, so
0: so from the pr side yes. what have been some things that you've been learning or uh maybe haven't realized uh you know from the management to mm-hmm. the pr like that's maybe like new to you
1: yeah i mean it's it's interesting you know it's a it's definitely a uh, been a learning curve um and i'm still you know learning quite a bit of it yeah but uh you know small I think I think the I think the the smaller it's been su- surprising to me how much the smaller blogs it's hard to get a hold of like it's yeah um, you know I I've been having conversations w- with a lot of different people managers other publicists other you know labels uh, friends of mine who are you know different places and uh, you know because when I kind of came in I felt like it was very hard to get stuff and I said what what's this about and you know kind of the consensus is it's a it's an interesting time to be in PR because. Um, editorial, more so than anything, kind of is dead for the most part. Yeah. Um, you know, and I hate when people throw around those kind of terms of like, oh, this is dead, or this, right. you know, we just had that whole rock, indie rock is indie dead rock, thing or yes. whatever just yeah. happened and everybody yeah. jumped all over it. But it's, it's interesting because editorial, from a historical standpoint, from what I can tell, from what I've learned about it, is that it was kind of one of these things where um, and in, in this is editorial more so on the actual music side as opposed to like the show side or those okay. kind of things. Yeah. Um, but the, the editorial historically in, in music has been something used by uh, artists and labels to help sell records, right? So basically mm-hmm. what happens is, you know, if you'd go back, you'd, you'd, you'd read Spin or Rolling Stone or, you know, even your local paper or your local zine, and you would develop a relationship with one of the writers, yeah. Whoever lo- whoever had the music taste that you had, and you you know, and you knew those writers' names. You you trusted them. If right. they liked something, you were probably going to like it. And that's kind of where the heart of editorial was. Um, but now, with the you know, with Spotify, with Tidal, with Apple Music, with all these places, right. with SoundCloud, you know, you don't need editorial to tell you anymore. Even even in the past five years, editorial had a place yeah. because you know, iTunes or Amazon or there was, you could download music. You could still download music, but you couldn't just stream it. Right. And so once streaming really hit, you kind of see this paradigm shift of, um, I don't need somebody to tell me anymore whether I need to spend $10 on this thing or $15 on right. a CD or $20 on a box set or whatever it is. I'm just, if my friend says, hey, you should listen to this, it takes me two seconds to click on that and right. search it on Spotify. Yeah. And so you don't really have, you don't really need uh, someone to tell you these things anymore. So I think that's been this really big paradigm shift in PR that uh, a lot of people are still trying to figure out how to uh, change. Because that was right. a big thing that we would get our artists, right? We right. would get them album reviews, yeah. single reviews, features, uh, things like that. So it's really it's really an interesting thing to, to try and figure out. So you know, I feel like, mm, Where my stuff has been kind of landing the best is like lifestyle stuff, Um, different different avenues that you would, not just trying to get a track featured, but like, you know, interviews and, right. and, and you know more in-depth stuff, uh, track by track, you know, I just did a really cool track by track thing with new noise and, um, you know, stuff like that, so, yeah. yeah, you really, to get those music features, to get those album reviews, to get those single reviews, to get that kind of stuff, it really takes, you really have to develop an actual story now, it can't just be good music, you have to really have, the, the artist has to have the whole thing going on you need to be able to pitch him a good story right because you know what what differentiates you and if it's nothing then no one's gonna care and no right. one's gonna write about you if it's you know but you you have a good story and you know a lot of people are gonna be interested in it so that's I think that's the big thing it's like it's not only it's not yeah. only a change for me but it's also a change kind of for the industry and it's kind of happening at the same time so it's been very interesting to see how that's rolling and, and how to try and like Keep up with it.
0: Besides, I mean, I guess the story is hugely important. What what other things can an artist be doing to cultivate that so people are interested?
1: Um, I mean, I you know, always having content. Yeah. You know, uh, the more content you have, like, you can't just put a song on SoundCloud now and think that people are going to care. Like, right. you need a music video for it. You need... Or, you know, what I always tell my, my artists is like, all right, if we're going to release a single, if you don't have a video for it or a visual for it or something like that, it's like, all right, well, let's get a tour figured out. Like, right. like I need something for people to talk about other than the song, because you can only yeah. talk about the song for a paragraph now. Right. If I don't have more for them to build on, well, then, you know, they're not going to build on it. So it's... it's you know you, you always got to be goes back to the thing i said earlier you always got to be hustling you always got to be finding new yes. stuff and you know really figure out what you want your narrative to be because you know if you don't if you don't put your own narrative out there beforehand mm-hmm. there's people are just going to make one up for you and it might not be your favorite thing <laughs> so that's kind of yeah just have the package together don't and don't rush right. things just make sure you're doing it right and doing it good and if you want to you know pop through that and have next level you know continue to <laughs> yeah. continue to develop that and then surround yourself with good people.
0: Um why do, why do you do what you do what what keeps you going working in the music biz for so many years?
1: I don't I don't know anything else. Yeah. <laughs> I mean aside yeah. from that like yeah. um it's what I love. I love going to shows. I I love helping bands, you know, it's um mm-hmm. Music is a is a core. I think I I you know when they ask people how what you identify you know whether your your race or religion or your your uh, you know gender I yeah. think I re, I think I the first thing on that thing I would put is music like I I that's I,
0: why you love music
1: exactly exactly <laughs> that's it is it's to my
0: other
1: right I mean it is <laughs> it's it's like I don't know there's something there's something that's so visceral about music to me. It's when I listen to music, it's it it affects me in a different way than if I watch something or if I'm, you know, like whatever other people get off on. Like people yeah. are stoked on stuff. Yeah. And I just don't like it's the thing that always is there and it's the thing that always makes me happy. And it's all, you know, it's I don't know. That's about it. I don't I don't have a really good no, like that's, crazy answer for it. No, it's that's just, great. That's what I do. So that's awesome. That's what I do.
0: Well, thank you so much for doing this interview today. Totally.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Thanks again to Ian for the interview and to the Bang Ups for the theme music. Until next time, this has been the I Love Music Podcast with Jen Fedor.